Hello, and welcome to TV Saves the World. I'm Priya, and I'm high. I am Elam, and I am drunk. And today, we will be talking about the devil in science fiction. Why, why is the Bible such a rich source of material? Here's one answer. Have you read the thing? <laughs> I've only read Leviticus. <laughs> Did you know that Leviticus is actually about how you shouldn't have three ways with your mom? <laughs> did did you did you hear the one where this girl does a striptease for her dad so she can get some guy's head cut off? That's one way of dealing with exes, I guess. Wait, tell me the story <laughs> very briefly. Uh, yes, Salome does a dance for her father that later became known as the Dance of the Seven Veils. And she's so good at dancing that I asked her what she would like the most. And she says that she would like the head of John the Baptist. So that's what she guessed. Maybe she meant like she wanted to get head. I don't know. It's just weird, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> she wanted to get head from John the Baptist? <laughs> that makes more sense in context, right? <laughs> Look, this, this is not a religion podcast. We don't have strong opinions on whether this is true or false. Um, but, you know... You look at t sort of stories like that, and you think, if this was a television pilot, this would not be an A-level show. The New York <laughs> Times is not writing reviews like, and then she turned around and turned into a pillar of salt, so her daughters had sex with their dad while he was drunk. That's, that's, not, a, that's, not, that's not an A-level plot. The thing is, though, this makes sense. If you have a religion, you want people to listen to you, you want people to listen to what you have to say, mm -hmm. and you want your story to be at least somewhat memorable. Mm -hmm. If your story is, everybody was, you know, they were ambiguous, like, it's bad that our savior got killed, but I'm sure those guys had a good point too, they had problems with their mothers and everything. <laughs> yeah, no one's, like, that's not very compelling. Even, like, Rose from the Dead is, like, a very compelling story. Right. At minimum. Exactly. It's, it's still kind of a B-level plot, and I'm not saying it's, it's good or bad. I'm just, we like B-level television here. I'm just saying, yeah, it's a rich source of material. It really ups the stakes. So, Priya, do you want to talk more about uh, raising the stakes and the biblical contest? contest? Yes. Yes, I do. So, when the devil is in the picture, your heroes have to go bald to the wall. Like, there is no other choice. Often in these shows, like, like a, a reason why this, this episode would be separate from the religion episode is that the devil is in the picture, but, the, but God is not. Or um, even more like broadly, the workings of the devil are much more in the picture than the workings of God for humankind. If you're like even remotely committed to being like a good person, it puts your hero essentially in the position of God, um, like a limited God, but like someone who, because they're so close to evil, has no choice but to do the right thing. Uh, and uh, so, and I think I don't know. That's just I think a really interesting position to explore, um, and it provides like a lot of very fertile territory for science fiction. So, other than upping the stakes. 
The other good reason to talk about the devil and the thing that Priya mentions is, look, the devil is evil. But what does evil really mean? This is sort of a quintessential question for most of humanity. It's something that we wrestle with a great deal. Uh, we wrestle with it so much that uh, one of the big sort of foundational texts for a lot of philosophy, something many of us have been reading the last few years, is Hannah Arendt's um, text on the Nuremberg trials and the sort of banality of evil that asks the question of what motivated the Nazis? And, you know, it turns out you can find a lot of answers to that, and those answers are all kind of relatable in the small scale. Obviously, in the great scale, they end up terrible. But when you make an A-level show, you want that to be relatable. You want to say, sure, the um, people condoning state rape are really bad, but, like, they had a miscarriage once, so that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and when you bring in the devil, you don't have to explain that. You can just say, yeah, he's the devil. He was bad. Right. Hell is where bad people go. We have accepted that badness exists in our world, and we can sort of get on with the more complicated, actually, question of once you accept that badness exists, what do you do? And what you do is, I mean, you, you clash with, with bureaucracy. What is, what is really evil? If the devil is your protagonist, he can't be that bad. So why is he doing bad things? Why is he running hell? Um, a cult classic that is not a TV show, but is sort of a shibboleth text for people who are into it, is this Russian book called Master and Margarita. Uh, there actually is a Russian TV show about it. In, in, in that book, uh, the devil uh, comes to Moscow in 1930s, and he wrecks total havoc on everything. He, um, he sends people to Crimea, just randomly teleports them. He distributes fake clothing that then vanishes into thin air. I mean, he's, he's being a dick, but um, the book is a cult classic because what it really is is a send-up of Soviet society. You read it and you think, the devil is a dick, but I mean, look at these guys. They, they're so much worse. And in the end, you know, he kept, he helps the main lovers reunite. He undoes the damage of the Soviet state. So is the oh. devil so bad? <laughs> I feel like this is a very Russian perspective. <laughs> but, but it's not, right? I mean, the question is, who's, who's the bad guy here? Mm -hmm. um, and you look at something like Lucifer, which is not Russian. Mm -hmm. It is based on a comic book and it is now an American TV show. And the plot of Lucifer is that um, the devil has decided that he's fucking done. He doesn't want to run hell anymore. He's going to go hang out in LA and run a fucking nightclub. Mm -hmm. And uh, the question you now ask is, well, what does that mean? Is there redemption for it? Is he actually good? Is he actually bad? It's the same sort of questions with more nightclub and assless chaps. Less good work. And of course, speaking of bureaucracy and hell, we are all familiar with The Good Place. Mm -hmm. Mild spoiler. The protagonists have died. Um, they think they've gone to heaven. But surprise, they have not. They are actually in hell. The guy who they think is their heavenly angel sent to help them is just a demon. And from there on, it sort of goes down the discussion of what does it mean to be bad? You know, 
what my problem with The Good Place was for all of season one. Yeah. It was that I guessed the twist in the first five minutes of episode one. Like, it was just like, oh, it's obvious that this is it. And so at the end, I was like, okay, at the end of episode one, you know, this is, they'll find out this is the bad place and then the season will proceed from there, which is what it would have done if it were, if it had started off as a B-level show. Um, but it started off as an A-level show, and so it dragged that out for the whole season, and the whole season I was like, my face was melting off. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, <laughs> How is this still happening? <laughs> yeah, it really, it kind of goes on and on. Um, so I only watched from season two forward. <laughs> well, you can't really debate the nature of good without talking about the nature of evil, and the nature of evil is way more fun. I mean, I spend most of my time thinking of how to not be evil. Thanks, Google. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to talk about this more too uh, with the Reaper. Yeah. So to sort of to sort of segue into that, um, what the Good Place sort of settles into in this last couple of seasons is it doesn't matter if Michael is good or bad. What matters is the entire the entire system is fucked up. The entire system that deals with good and evil is the system is really the problem. Um, bureaucracy is the problem. The devil is merely a manifestation of it. And so speaking of bureaucracy. Reaper! Woo! <laughs> yeah, Reaper. So, way back... Oh my god. I, so I love Reaper so much. So way back in the days, just post-college, oh and I, I used to run a show that was once to our faces termed a Boston institution hey. <laughs> called Bad Sci-Fi Night. So, so I would not have watched Reaper if it were not for Bad SF Night. And I... Reaper uh, is Reaper is such a, an amazing show. Like I don't know, every time I watch it, like it touches my soul. Like it's just so well, it's so artfully well constructed in terms of like there's these guys and they're just kind of hanging out, but they just need like a swift kick in the ass basically mm. to get them going. And then it turns out Sam is the son of the devil. The devil is the iconic character from this show who is played by Ray Wise. Awkward. Um. And actually, I have written here in my notes, my notes description of Reaper is, Ray Wise as the devil. Incredible. Army Hammer as recurring guest star. Fantastic. Woo! <laughs> Nina and Ben's relationship. Egalitarian. So, um, one of Sam's friends, Ben, uh, in season two, dates a demon named Nina, who, and it's like an incredible pairing because she actually kidnaps him, ha. like, in her demon form, and then assumes her form of a beautiful woman, and is like, I've watched you, you're so kind, you're gonna be my boyfriend now. Uh, <laughs> is that, is that egalitarian? It starts off, I mean, that part is bad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it ends up in a really, really sweet place, because, like, it, it helps that she's like this super gorgeous woman yeah so he's really into it and he actually is a really nice guy and so they have this like adorable relationship they're just like so into each other Aww. it's like really sweet um and army hammer in fact the recurring guest star he is sam's half-brother also the son of the devil but it turns out the devil really likes him because he's played by army hammer makes sense i uh, but it, but like, there's this whole thing where um, it looks like for a while that Nina, she's flirting with him. It turns out this is actually just a ploy to get him to come with her so that she can kill him because she, uh, she is part of this group of demons called the Way of Steve. Because so at the end of season one, Steve dies. He's a gay demon. 
Uh, oh no! And his his boyfriend is played by Ken Marino, and c- because Ken Marino is like so amazing, Michael Ian Black is also amazing. Okay, okay. And what they watch at their meetings is like this bad like phone video of Steve doing like karaoke, <laughs> and like they signify that they're the way of Steve with like this like a uh, pinky like thing. Uh huh. <laughs> um, because like they're trying to emulate Steve in every way. Um, because Aww. Steve like became an angel. Uh, and so they're like, oh, God will save us, you know, and, and give we, us grace. If, if, we, if we become more gay. If, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's the sort of cutting commentary on bureaucracy that I actually do want for my B-level sci-fi shows. <laughs> that sounded sarcastic, but I'm, no, I know. No, no, yeah. Uh, and so I have a clip here. Did you know, beginning in the late 19th century, corporations were granted all the rights of the individual but none of the annoying responsibilities. They lack, almost by design, any kind of moral compass, conscience, or compassion. Basically, corporations are a way to enact sociopathic behavior on a grand scale. In short, they're what makes this country so damn great. <laughs> so what, you work here? Well, actually, I was really rather hoping that you would. What better place to instruct you in the ways of evil than here? Corporate America. <laughs> right, so the reason I'm sharing that particular clip, I mean, like, there's literally one, a scene like that every single episode. Right. Like, Ray Wise is just incredible right. in this show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much like uh, Ian McShane on Kings. And um, I didn't really understand what Reaper was about until while I was researching for this episode, I uh, found out that the if I found out that ABC bought the property, which which must be why it disappeared off Hulu. Ha. <laughs> and uh, Reaper is actually the reason I got Hulu Prime, Hulu Plus, whatever it was called at the time, because that was the only way to watch uh, the the season two. Uh, season two of it and I was like I guess I just have to do it then (laughs) so this new series tries to be the opposite of Reaper so it's set exactly 20 years later like the exact Mm. amount of time 10 years later I guess it's about this guy and he's also kind of like an aimless loser and he's like crashing on his sister's couch um and he is kind of he kind of dates his uh like high school sweetheart who also still lives in the same town um and is also like a teacher and like just kind of like very flutteringly white in the same way that he's like very like white guy Ah. (laughs) and and his sister by the way lives in this like very spacious looking like suburban house like right and like there it's a big deal one episode when she asks him to rake the leaves for example so instead of like being forced by the devil to do various things he is being forced by god through this uh angel who of course looks like a black woman it's like god is forcing him and the angel is there to like help him really right 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 and she's very good she's very smart you know, so, you know, you can give her, you can give them that. Yeah. Um, and it's really amazing because the tone is so perfectly updated 10 years, but it's just so much sadder. <laughs> uh, is it because it doesn't have the devil or a wise and it just has God? Exactly. And, but God is, doesn't actually work because like, what is God? Right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing that means there can't be a plot. Well, and, and also there's this entire thing, right, where we um, 
make the god or angels minorities as a way of putting them on a pedestal like in dogma when it's a big deal that god is a woman but this doesn't change sexism or racism we never it's just a right. way to get ourselves off the hook the only like person of color in the whole show is like this black woman who right. plays this angel she's not even human she's an angel right exactly um and so uh oh right no the other person of color is this like kind of sleazy black cop who's dating the sister mm. um and who for example like in the one episode that i watched i it still just feels like you know, because, like, there's this thing where, like, the cop's like, I'm really not supposed to do this, but, yeah, I'll totally do it for you, buddy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God. Like, it's just so clear that, like, when you take the Reaper characters and you age them ten years, what you get is, like, this caricature. Because, like, they're such interesting characters when they're, like, 20. Right, right. They're right. actually, like, nice people. Right. Like, being a fuck-up in your 20s is very different. Exactly. So the thing about Reaper, though, the class commentary that it has actually serves to undercut that tone so that tone is that whole tone that this terrible abc show has is present in reaper right right um but the only reason it works and the reason it works so well is because it it constantly interrogates that by saying the reason that you're able to do this is because you have this status that has been built on the backs of others like like there definitely is like the way in which everyone else just kind of welcomes him is just like this neck this new faceless like co-executive and just, like, is very casual about it, just feels very much like, yes, we are here to, like, do this thing of taking this specific demographic and, like, seeing... And just, like, basically brute force checking all of them to see who is, like, ruthless enough to, like, make us a shit ton of money. It makes sense. I think that's how corporate America works, right? It kind of is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the, the fluttering white girlfriend... Um... So she, there's a point where he's, the guy is making a pizza for some reason. And so she brings over this old can of Chuck E. Cheese. They're not even apparently allowed to call it tomato sauce. It's like pizza topping or something like that. Right. Like Chuck E. Cheese has enough cachet um, in white America that people will actually pay a shit ton of money mm-hmm. for one of those cans, like after it goes out of business. Ah. And so she says, she holds up the can and she says, I paid off my student loan debt. Uh, selling these things on eBay ha. after I had worked there. Oh my god, <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. Actually. <laughs> and like, I mean, that's amazing. And I know people who have who have paid off their student loan debt based on like cheap things that they picked up. But like, how do you get a job at Chuck E. Cheese? Like, when you're like a teenager and you're just starting out, you fit the mold because you have to be present to customers and mm. you're trying to build a brand. And so, like, that's the very... So it makes very, very clear that economic tie, the way in which whiteness right. turns into... Turns from a social... Turns from social capital into economic capital, right. and then back vice versa. The the ABC show just accepts that. It's just like, great, like, this is all I have, so I'm just gonna fuck the shit out of it. Um, and whereas Reaper is, like, that early 20s experience of discovering that the world is that. Mm. Um, and trying to contend with that and trying to contend with that really genuinely and with a lot of heart um while staying true to this character of like but at the end of the day like i don't actually know what i'm doing i think a lot of people felt like that in 2009 too that was much more of a new idea than it is now yeah but i think it's really interesting that the show aired well i guess maybe it was being filmed right around the time of the breakdown yeah Oh, if so, see if it yeah. started in two thousand seven. Yeah, that you're was right. Pre-crash. Yeah, you're right. It is. It is a pre-crash, pre-crash show. Yeah. So that to me also felt very prophetic, which I think is part of a good 
how you know it's a good piece of art. Yeah. Like it's mirroring society back to you um, in a way that you might not have considered, but that will have real ramifications like very quickly. So, um, and that sort of brings in the, I think, some of the problems with using the devil. How to do it wrong. Um, and Priya has highlighted one of them. Um, look, guys, uh, the devil is a really kind of a white brand right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, white people. <laughs> which, is, which is actually funny because there are a lot of more, a lot of Christians in places in the world that are not white. Um, mm. But in... In, in the U.S., at least, where a lot of shows are made, um, Christianity is something that is primarily associated with white people, often in the middle of the country. And so if you're, if you're writing a show like that, there is a very good chance that you're a white person and you're writing for other white people and you end up with a show that has, like, really kind of white and not as interesting, perhaps, to the rest of us, for whatever reason. Um... <laughs> Or at the very least, you have your protagonist, and your protagonist is super white, and it's still really boring. Um, we tried to watch The Preacher recently, and it has um, it has great characters. It has a black woman who builds a rocket launcher out of tomato cans, and it <laughs> has a guy from Dublin that jumps out of an airplane, and the protagonist is a dopey white dude mm-hmm. who is failing at being a preacher in his Texas hometown. This is the defiance problem. It's like we're supposed to care about these characters, and when you bring yeah. in the sort of <laughs> mythology that is already primarily a white people mythology, you're going to have much more of those characters in your show, and you're going to be much more tempted to say, oh, you know, our protagonist is a German monk from the 15th century. <laughs> Looking at you, the collector. Um, and, you know... That's that, really white. <laughs> that's pretty fucking white. And that's not... It's just, it's just not that good. Which brings us to the other ways of doing it wrong, which is, um, look, the devil is a big deal, and it ups the stakes, but uh, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta work your way up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, if you have to write, like, 500 episodes of a mediocre B-level show that has nothing to do with the devil, you might be tempted to say, but what if this alien... Is the devil, <laughs> and it never ends well. Um, there is an episode of Doctor Who where um, they literally there is um, there is a pit, and in that pit, there is uh, an enormous minotaur. A minotaur, uh, as far as I can tell from you know having watched it, right? Uh-huh. It's human body, head of a bull, painted red. Looks That's like the devil. Yes. I've always thought of the Minotaur as a very tortured figure. No, 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 no. That's the devil. He's trapped in a pit. It's important we keep him there. And it was, it's the most boring fucking episode. It was, <laughs> that was, that was an hour and 30 minutes of my life that I went back. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about it now as I'm reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming that 90 minutes that I watched. <laughs> Of the you, devil in a pit. You deserve that that re, that that compensation. <laughs> Thank you, Priya. I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm glad my bottle of wine is here. <laughs> now you know why this is a thoroughly inebriated podcast. <laughs> so bad. And then, so an example of a show that does it both well and not so well is uh, 
the Babylon 5. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is Babylon 5. So on one hand, you have Babylon 5, The Lost Tales, which is a series of episodes that came out after the main show had ended. And it was like 10 years after, half the actors had died, um, and Straczynski, who is generally actually like a really reasonably good screenwriter, uh, was like, hey, I guess I need more money. I assume that's what he was thinking, because there's the direct-to-video sequel, where your beloved characters come back, and they have really terrible adventures, and it's just really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the, best, the best part about it is quoting someone who's not in the, in, in, in the episode. That's, that's how good it is. But... <laughs> Um, as a show itself, it also did it right. The main pl- one of the main story arcs is that um, there are these two sort of alien uh, civilizations, and they're both super powerful. And one of them is really creepy. They're called the Shadows. They look like spiders. Uh, when they first show up, their ambassador is this sleazy um, salesman who comes up to you and asks, "What do you want?" What, what do you really want? And um, chooses sort of who's, you know, essentially, you know, who is going to, you know, take their soul in exchange for giving them what they want, which is <laughs> making their empire great again. Uh-huh. <laughs> 1990s, thanks. Uh-huh. Um, and it ends badly for everyone involved. And the other civilization are the Vorlons, and they are generally on the side of humanity. And um, when one of them takes off their spacesuit, it turns out that he looks like an angel. And um, this will be really cheesy. And the part that makes, you know, means that Babylon 5 is doing it right is, I mean, you know, spoilers, this came out. It's old enough to drink, okay? Um, <laughs> the show's old enough to drink. I can give you spoilers. <laughs> They're both bad. Mm-hmm. Neither of these is the good guy. Uh, humans are the good guys. And the good guys are essentially, is essentially choosing your own path forward. Both of these are just playing humanity as disposable for its own gains. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that is at least, that is a good, that is a commentary on the nature of good and evil, but it's also a commentary on the bureaucracy and the world that surrounds us and the systems that we build to keep that in place. Oh my God, I have some great stories about St. Nick, but not for right now. Yes. Oh, that's an interesting one. Does the Grinch who stole Christmas count as sci-fi? Oh shit, maybe. I don't I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I mean, I think so. It's not really that realistic. I mean, is it a fantasy world? I guess, but like mo- I mean, we're not we don't we don't we don't we don't we don't, we don't distinguish on this podcast. <laughs> Speculative fiction either way. I think that this goes in the same bucket as like is Zootopia science fiction. Yes. Okay. There are sloths at the DMV. <laughs> It is similar enough to the the real world, I guess. It's fine. It's a metaphor, same as most speculative fiction is. To end the show on an upward note, we will talk about Chambers. As you know, since Sensei mm. got cancelled. 
Netflix has, by the way, that was not a sound effect. That was 100% EK. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, Netflix has been, uh, has been recently on an anti-minorities binge. And in particular, this year, it canceled two shows that I really, really loved. One show that I really, really, really loved uh, called One Day at a Time. Um, not a science fiction show, but just really, really good. Just, like, honestly, a flawless show, yeah. I would say. But anyway, so what other things has Netflix canceled? So so the other thing that Netflix canceled this year that I just love so much, I must have watched this show, like, ten times over at this point. Um, also, I've been writing a blog post about it, which maybe now I will actually publish. Guys, you should read Priya's blog post. It's amazing. I've seen all the preparation that goes into it. There is an enormous color-coded chart. It is so good. All right, all right, all right. So why is, why is Chambers great? Right, so Chambers. So Chambers is this incredible, incredible, incredible show about colonialism um, and, and so much that's attached to that phrase, like the way in which it's yeah. so loaded. And so Chambers is about this Diné, um, which is commonly known as Navajo, uh, Diné is their name for themselves. Nice. Uh, so it's about this Diné girl named Sasha Yassi, um, and she is raised by her uncle. Uh, he has an exotic fish shop. Ooh. Uh, because it's so funny. Like people ask him, like, why do you have this? And he's like, well, you know, desert people have what they want, yeah. what they can't have, and it's like mostly true. Mm. And even that like functions as a metaphor for how he's existing like in this colonial landscape yeah and he is like trying to fit in as best he can to just like get by yeah um and later in the show you find out that this is because her mom was a junkie and their family like would refuse to pay for western medicine i think to treat the sister that didn't help so he just split from them He's played by this incredible 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 actor marcus lavoie nice uh who just does this, such an amazing job of portraying, like, all the nuances in this character. Uh, and then Sasha, at 17, has a heart attack. Uh, and so she wakes up and she's like, oh, shit, I can't believe I'm alive. Uh. Like, what was that? And it was like, oh, you had a heart transplant. And it turns out that the heart that she has um, came from this rich white girl a few towns over uh. Uh, named Becky Lefevre. Okay. Uh, and Becky Lefevre's parents are Becky. played by... Literally Becky. Literally Becky. Yeah, she's literally a Becky. Okay. <laughs> and Becky's parents are played by uh, Tony Goldwyn, a.k.a. the president from Scandal. Oh, my God. It's, it's that guy. <laughs> and Uma Thurman. What? Yes, Uma Thurman is on this show, and she's amazing. What? Yes, it's incredible. Okay, okay. okay. Anything that has Uma Thurman is B-level, but just elevated. That's, that's true. Yeah, she just hits that tone. Kill Bill, I mean, jeez. Yeah, exactly. So how, how does the devil... How does the devil come in? <laughs> the guilty parents send her to... Send her basically in Becky's place to this fancy rich white high school. Yeah. Uh, like on a full scholarship with like a laptop and an unlimited Aww, meal card. nice. Yeah, she just like is living the good life. That, that is the good life. Yeah. Dude, the school has a nap room. Oh my God. Anyway, so the demo is in so, the nap room. 
<laughs> yes, in a way, yes. So what happens is, uh, the more that Sasha's in Becky's environment and like meets her friends, and you know they're all they're all like a little yeah. bit off. And so the more that she explores that, the more she's triggered by flashes of Becky's life. Mm-hmm. Um, by like she's just caught in these like memories, and like it gets her into some awkward situation. Uh, so what happens is at the end she finds out that the dad, as part of this like, um very explicitly colonialist like he burned sage yeah uh in the house um he and his cult resurrected lilith who the show like identifies in some cutaways as like the very first demon who refused sure. to submit to adam's authority and thus was like the founder of evil in the world uh that sounds fine <laughs> and i know right and that's the point of the show the whole point of the show is to say like that's fine oh okay okay <laughs> Um, so Lilith uh, is very explicitly identified with like a, as a maternal figure um, mm-hmm. in this series, and so this is um, exemplified by the number of ways in which the show b- goes out of its way to bring up mother daughter specifically connections, mm-hmm. um, and also how those connections are interrupted by the paternalism and sexism of their male peers. Um, so the big thing here is that Sasha Yazi finds out um, that her uncle Frank actually was responsible for her mother's death. Oh, shit. And it, to her, it feels like such a huge betrayal, but partially because she's feeling echoes of Becky's betrayal from her father, like, summoning a literal demon into her body. Sure. Um, you know, there's a part where Becky says later, like, he tied me to a rock and violated me, and it very explicitly is, like, rape. Right. Like, that. that is very explicitly, like, that's the connotation, and that's the reason why she's using it as a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And, and it explicitly ties it to the long walk that the Diné were forced on um, by the Americans, uh, and uh, how that's made the Diné stronger. Yeah. And then that ties back into how Sasha is able to contain Lilith while Becky couldn't. Mm. It's explicitly tied to she has suffered through this, like, unimaginable trauma and can manage to come out the other side and like that contains that means you have the power to contain that demon uh that's interesting yeah so Uh, whereas becky could not so there's sort of rejection of god as as trauma and the capacity of uh people who are not necessarily a white majority to cope with the trauma as allowing them much more leeway and power exactly yeah and so and it also explicitly ties that to like that feels like a supernatural power yeah like if you feel that you have it like you're like you know that's why there's all these like oh white people like me yeah right? makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. that's really good actually so at the end of the day there is a very clear symbol of like what happens when all of this collides on one person also and this is part of what like this is the trauma that you have to pass through right to be able to contain like the demon on the other side um and what it shows how all this collides and it severs your connection with yourself and it and it draws that explicitly to mental health and the experience of mental health which is like you're just like a normal person you're just going about your life and then all this like weird shit keeps happening that you just like can't explain for some reason and it just like it sounds like nothing to other people when you try to explain it to them and you could read more in my upcoming blog post. Yeah! Read <laughs> upcoming blog post. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what we're going to edit this down to, but this took up like a good 45 minutes. So to summarize, 
when um, when you use the when we use the devil, that's a big stick, and you can use it to say something really really good, like Chambers or Master and Margarita, or you could just use it for fun, and then it doesn't it doesn't end up as good. So ask yourself, you know, why? What are you what are you getting out of this? And how can you how can you make whatever that is be actually interesting to the rest of us? Let's uh let's talk about the future. Priya, the future. What what are can some we see topics? the future? I don't know. Is that on our list? We made a list of Holy things shit. we might talk about on this podcast. <laughs> we can see the future. We've written it down. This is part of why writing is such a great technology. We have a spreadsheet and everything. <laughs> All right. Some things we want to talk about in the future. Um detectives and what that means in B-level and A-level sci-fi and why it's so interesting. Um, class and labor. That's that's something that comes up a lot. Uh, classic duos, romance, the multiverse, space, robots, immortality, parenthood, mental health. Flash forward. Woo! <laughs> Which I'll get to talk about heroes. The future! <laughs> Bye everyone. See you in... <laughs>